The Run Culture podcast has always been a passion project. It was created to share stories and experiences, to educate runners and to grow the sport. Ultimately, to show that running is cool. The podcast has provided us all opportunities to listen and learn from some interesting people in the running world. Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I am an all-out running fan and an accredited running coach, a marathoner myself and an experienced physiotherapist that specialises in treating runners. So, before we get right into the show, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes of the Run Culture podcast and they have added value to your life and you want to support the podcast going into 2021, then we have a Patreon page. It's linked to in the show notes. A small monthly donation will go a heck of a way to keeping the show alive. By doing so, you too can also feel fulfilled that you are doing your bit to promote and grow the sport. Also, for those runners interested or in need, links to my online strength and conditioning course for runners or run therapy, my physiotherapy clinic, are also in the show notes. Alas, enough from me. Here's this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate to be chatting to Shane Benzies. Shane Benzies is a movement coach. Um, He's the owner of Running Reborn. He's the author of The Lost Art of Running, a book that goes into the technique of running. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Shane. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. No worries. Um, Shane, I love listening to your book. I got it on audio um, format at the start of the year. And it really opened my eyes to um, quite a few things and f- quite a few concepts that um, I hadn't really thought about before. And one was the, the idea of the elastic runner. Um, mm. And it's a phrase that's mentioned quite a few times throughout the book. Um, to listeners, um, what is the phrase elastic runner? And also, how did you get involved with uh, sort of exploring running technique and, and uh and the whole art of movement coaching. Okay, well, okay, some good questions there straight away. Yeah. So, so I kind of got into this journey of uh, looking to discover what good running is, really based on my own my own experiences. So I was a, an ultra runner, well, still am, I still run, uh, but at the time I was a, an ultra runner running really long distances, um, and I had two big challenges. The first challenge was I just was constantly getting injured. Um, and then the second challenge was I just didn't seem to be getting any better. So I was kind of going from injury to injury and, and wasn't really getting any faster or doing any better. So I thought, right, you know, and I was pretty, I felt as though I was pretty fit. You know, I had a pretty good engine and I had lots of really good gear. So I'd got the gear sorted, <laughs> but there was just something else missing. And, and I kind of concluded that it was actually the way that I was running, the way that I was moving. All my work had always been concentrated on being really fit. So I thought, right, okay, I don't want to give up the sport, but I can't continue to get injured and I do want to get better. So I decided to go on my own journey to find out how to actually run in a better way. Um, and I guess I did what everybody does is pretty much go to the internet, go to Google and start in, you know, Googling around and trying to understand how to move better. And I just, I was totally confused. Everything seemed to be on a treadmill, uh, and everything seemed to be based on biomechanics, which kind of confused me because when I looked at biomechanics, 
it didn't really seem to ring true when I was watching how runners that move beautifully were moving. But I kind of persisted with it and, and got really into it and got, got, got very interested into the whole subject and kind of decided that I thought, right, the best way to learn about all this stuff is to become a coach myself. So that's what I thought I would do. So I actually went out to America and uh, qualified as a running coach, really enjoyed that, came back and started to coach. But there were some really, really, there were some big gaps in my knowledge still. And still I was looking at biomechanics and still everything was treadmill based. And there were just some big gaps in my thought processes. And I just, I just had, I was coaching everybody to, to almost shuffle around and, and all the running concepts seemed to be based around not getting injured, but not about dynamic movement. And so I thought, right, this isn't any good. So I thought, right, I, I down tools and I thought, I'm just going to go and hang out with the best runners in the world and just see what they do and how they do it. And uh, I kind of identified East Africa, Ethiopia and Kenya as the place, because I think it's fair to say they've got some pretty good runners out there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I just down tools. Ethiopia was the first place that I went to. And I just kind of went out to a place called Bakoji, managed to get in front of an amazing coach out there who's worked with some incredible athletes like Tirinesh Dibaba, Bekele, you know, brought them through from youngsters, just knows so much. And I managed to spend about a month shadowing him and working with him and then my whole thought process started to change and I stopped becoming a running coach and I became a movement coach because I see running as a movement skill uh, 10 years on I'm still chasing this whole this whole process wow and um like um in in your um book you talk about um yeah the the elastic runner um and you talk about fascia and the importance of fascia and this term tensegrity um yeah. uh, how did you come to sort of uh to sort of um come along this line of thinking like obviously that experience in ethiopia and kenya sort of um made you sort of question like why um these uh runners moving so beautifully um but yeah, yeah. How, how did you start to develop um uh like th those theories well, when I, when, when I first got to Ethiopia, and certainly when I was, and, and after that I went to Kenya to attend in Kenya to work, uh, what I was seeing was m men and women running around, and they just seemed to be moving in a very kind of fluid, connected, synergistic way. And elastic was the big kind of thing that popped into my head. Why are these runners running around in what seemed like a beautiful, elastic way? And why are we all struggling to run around and shuffle and just kind of seem to be beating ourselves up when we're running and they seem to be gliding in, in an elastic way? So, you know, I thought, why, why would that be? Because surely we've got the same bits. Yeah, you know, a bit of genetics aside, you know, we're all, we're all humans and so we, we must have the same capabilities. And so I came back from Ethiopia from the, the, my first trip to Ethiopia for being out there for a month. There was no internet or anything out there. So all I was doing was really watching came back to the UK and kind of put my researchers hat on and thought, right, why are they moving in what I could see as an elastic way? And I actually just Googled elastic runner because I thought, right, where do, where do I start? And I very quickly came up with the fascial system in the body, which has huge elastic qualities. So our tendons and our ligaments are part of our fascial family and myofascia. So fascia runs through all of our body and it essentially... It, it creates the sea of tension that our body's in. 
So if you just close your eyes and just imagine your skeleton, okay? And we always see the skeleton in a very kind of upright way, as if it's a structure and as if it's supporting itself. But actually your skeleton is 206 bones that are actually floating in a sea of elasticity. No bone touches another bone in your body. They're all floating in this sea of elasticity created by your tendons, your ligaments, and your myofascia. So when you move, actually your skeleton is just free flowing in this sea of elasticity, which is constantly rejuvenating and re-architecting itself. So once I realized this, and that's the, that's the that um, process is described as tensegrity. So tensegrity or biotensegrity for a human is this concept that when you move around, your, bo your bones are just free-flowing in a sea of elasticity. Well, once I realized that, I just thought, wow, well, that all makes perfect sense. I now can see why these runners are running beautifully tall and elegant because they're loading this elastic system. I can see why they're moving. They've got some balance and symmetry in their body because every movement they make creates elastic recoil for the next movement. And then I started to realize that this amazing elastic system that gives us the sea of tension and really helps to propel us. It doesn't want any oxygen. It doesn't want any calories. It doesn't produce lactate. And I'm thinking, well, okay, this is pretty exciting. And then I realized that actually it's never more than seven months old. It's constantly rejuvenating and re-architecting itself. So we can train it just like we can our engine. And so that got really, really exciting. And I thought, right, now I'm getting this. I really understand it. Uh, and then went back out to Kenya with a new eye to, because I now had a better understanding and spent some time out in Kenya and was very, very lucky to have a day. At the time, Wilson Kipsang was uh, the world record holder for the marathon. And I was very lucky to spend a day with him. And, uh, you know, that allowed me to really study how he moved and to, to look at his perception of his movement and what he thought made him a good runner. And then I really started to tap into this, into this stuff. Um, and I've taken that now all around the world. I mean, I work on six, I say I work on six continents, looking at athletes all around the world. But I now spend a lot of time living with tribes and indigenous people as well to understand how they do amazing things with their bodies. They don't have a race number on. They're not running around anywhere because they wouldn't because they, just, they wouldn't want to waste energy. But they do some incredible things with their bodies, like carrying twice their body weight, climbing trees, whatever it is they might do. And that they do it because they largely tap into this amazing system that gives us elasticity and a huge amount of strength as well. Yeah, that's, um, that's awesome, Shane. Um, listening to that, what are we doing in the Western world um, where we lose the ability to to run with this um, beautiful um, elastic system that is naturally in our body. Like, what? Why are we losing touch um, to run this way? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's that's the, that was the burning question for me. Is okay. I think I understand this now. Yeah. But what are we going to do about it? Because yeah. actually, knowing about it's one thing, but yeah. you've got to use it. Yeah. You know, there there are there are many things that influence our movement, but I think the two big things that influence our movement are how we spend our everyday life. So many people who are listening to this now, hopefully some of them will be out running, yeah. but many will be sat down. Okay. So sitting is a huge challenge for us. Um, and many of us do that these days. You know, many of us spend a lot of time sitting. So if you imagine 
that your skeleton is 206 bones and those bones are just floating in a sea of tension created by your ever-developing elastic system. If we spend all of our time sitting or a lot of our time sitting, we're creating a really strange sea of tension in our body that isn't conducive to being beautifully tall and moving dynamically. So that's a huge challenge for us, and it's something that you see a lot in the in, in the Western world, but not not so much um, where in Africa and, and with the tribes and indigenous people, they're not really sitting that much at all. It is changing, I have to say. Sadly, it's getting harder and harder to find people who don't sit because <laughs> it, it is it is spreading. Uh, but certainly, we've been at it for some time. So you know, so we need to challenge that sea of tension in our everyday life if we're going to be able to use it dynamically. So, you know, for many people, we have a desk. Yeah, for many people, that, that's life. And I know we've all had a challenge over the, the last year or so. And many of us have been kind of working from home and are in slightly strange positions, potentially. But you imagine if you, if you went to work tomorrow and you stood at your desk on tripod feet, a lengthened spine, a neutral pelvis with an engaged core, your head up, eye line onto, on the computer, breathing into the bottom third of your lungs. Boy, you're training for nine hours because dynamic movement is just going to be an extension of that. Whereas we often just sit in slightly strange positions and so we're almost detraining. Yeah. So that's our first big challenge is that we're taking a, a wonky seat of tension, if you like, out to run. Yeah. And that doesn't work. And certainly for you as a physio, you're going to be dealing with a lot of issues that uh, people might report have come from when they were running, but actually it's because they're trying to take a really strange sea of tension with their body out into something dynamic where suddenly you've got impact and, uh, you know, and then, you know, that can get a bit messy for us. So if you want to run beautifully, you have to start moving and spending your day in beautiful positions, more, more weight bearing and, and stood. And then the second big thing that influences our movement is our perception of that movement okay and this is where the biomechanics thing i think throws us a bit of a curveball because traditional views of biomechanics would suggest that we're a series of levers powered by muscles you know and we don't really think about this elastic element of our body so if you're moving and you assume you're a series of levers you will move in a relatively mechanical way but if you buy into the fact that your skeleton is just floating in a sea of elasticity and you have, a, you have the ability to be very, very elastic, synergistic, connected and fluid. If you know that and buy into that, you will stand and make a cup of tea differently tomorrow or coffee for you guys. I don't know whether you're drinking tea over there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you will do everything different, differently if you have a different idea about your body. And a lot of my coaching with athletes is about changing their perception of their movement and changing their perception of their anatomy. Because once they buy into that, you never have to tell anybody to be tall. You never have to tell anybody to do something with height in their body, you know, because they're just constantly looking for that height. Um, and you don't have to persuade anybody to get a standing desk. They're on, they're on the internet buying one because suddenly they're starting to realise that we need to challenge this elastic system in our body for it to work. Like if you take an elastic band, it's only an elastic band if you put some tension in it. Otherwise, it's just a floppy thing, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, no, it's... Um... It's it, it's a great concept and um, like I, I, I really agree agree with it because we, we just do become sort of creatures of habit and um, and if we are sitting down for eight to nine hours a day and then 
go out for our run, then yeah, of course we're going to probably assume some of those um, postures and patterns. And um, yeah, the other um, aspect that I really enjoyed um, uh, when I listened to um, The Lost Art of Running, um, the audio book, um, was um, just the whole concept of what you said about um, the importance of uh, foot, foot strike and landing with a whole foot and foot placement. And when you were talking about that, how ground reaction forced and landing with a bit of force not necessarily is a, not necessarily is a, is a bad thing. Um, mm. And because as a physio, when I, I've been guilty of this and I'll admit it, like in the past, I've probably, um, yeah, made a lot of runners just shuffle a bit to try to reduce their pain through their knees. Um, but then that hasn't been conducive to making them better runners or faster runners. Um, so like, I really enjoyed listening to, um, yeah, like what you had to say about foot strike. Um, and then when I listened to it, you talked about this tripod foot landing and then I, you know, I was looking at packs of Kenyans and they all, a lot of them seem to, to be doing this, uh, full foot placement on the ground and, and really harnessing that elastic aspect of their, of their arch and, and landing under themselves. Um, yeah. Shane, what do you have to say sort of, yeah, about foot placement and, and its importance? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so here's some breaking news for a lot of runners. And, and uh, you know, do not adjust your, do not adjust your <laughs> set because this is, these, these things are true. Impact and bounce or air are good for runners. Okay. I'll say that again. Impact is good for a runner because impact turns into elastic energy and throws you forward. A human is designed to make impact with the ground because that plays a big part in a human's propulsion. So don't be scared of impact, okay? It's a good thing. And actually when you're running, uh, Newton's third law, any action is met by an equal and opposite. So when you're running, when your foot hits the ground, you've got around about two and a half times your body weight coming back at you, okay? And if you did a 10K, you might do 10,000 strides if you had a meter stride. So when you go and do a 10K, you've actually got 10,000 times, two and a half times your body weight coming back at you, okay? But that's it. That's not designed to scare people. That's exciting because that's 10,000 opportunities to take that impact, turn it into elastic energy and allow it to propel you. So impact is a beautiful thing. But of course, we have to, as runners, manage that impact. We have to harness that impact and turn it into elastic energy. If we don't move well, then it's fair to say that impact is going to come back and potentially give us a hard time. And that's when you, you bump into people and uh, they, come, they yeah. come and see you to get them, to get them out of trouble. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you do, you know, you work on them and you get them out of trouble and you get them back out so they can run again. But if you don't change that movement pattern, they're just going to be back again and again and again. So if we shouldn't be scared of impact. Impact is our friend. We just need to yeah, make friends with it and harness it. And one of the great ways in which we can do that is making sure that the foot lands correctly. So start to think of your foot as uh, the interface between you and the ground. So when you run, how your foot lands will determine how much stability you create, 
it will determine how well you proprioceptor. Now, by proprioceptor, what I mean is there are a quarter of a million nerve endings on the bottom of your foot. Okay, if you land your foot well, those quarter of a million nerve endings are going to send information up into the body, telling you how hard you hit the ground, what the ground felt like, what your perception of effort is, and what your spatial awareness is. That's all coming from the foot. If we land the foot well, we also create what's called the dome effect. If you look at the foot and the arch of the foot, the foot is shaped like a dome. And if we land correctly, that dome effect dissipates that two and a half times your body weight at source and immediately starts to turn it into elastic energy. And we also have something on the bottom of the foot called the plantar fascia, which for those people who don't, people may have heard of plantar fasciitis and be absolutely terrified of it, but the plantar fascia is a good thing. It's a beautiful piece of elastic that runs along the bottom of the foot. If we land the foot correctly, we load that part of that elastic part of the foot and that helps to spring us. So really important that we get the foot landing right. And as you quite rightly say, I talk a lot about the tripod landing or full foot landing. And so if you imagine the bottom of your foot, and you know, obviously a tripod has three, three parts to it. So there would be the heel, the calcaneus, the heel, and then you would have a point just under, underneath the ball of your big toe, and then a point just under the little toe. And so you can imagine there's a tripod underneath your foot. If you land on that tripod and get that full foot landing, you do get the stability because that's what tripods give us. You do get the proprioception from all of those nerve endings. You load that dome effect correctly. The arch of the foot now gives your foot a huge amount of strength and you load this beautiful piece of elastic that springs you. So you can change your running tomorrow by starting to think about how your foot lands the ground, on the ground. It's absolutely fundamental uh, to efficient and dynamic movement. And like if someone was interested in changing the way they move, um, it's it's um, because we've run in a certain way for however many years. Um, mm. In the book, you you um, uh, really explain it well that it's not a simple case of move this way and then suddenly like you feel fantastic. Um, it's a case of like kind of uh, uh, because it's going to be different to your normal movement pattern. It might feel a bit foreign. You might feel a bit inefficient initially. Um, but then if you try it in small doses regularly over time, um, like you, you soon soon feel like, like you soon sort of uh, are more familiar with it and it's not as foreign and then you're more likely to adopt it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so start, start to think of your movement as a software thing. A breath. So the software I see is your brain. I see movement as a software thing. I don't really think muscles have a memory. You know, they're really not that interested. They don't really know what they did this morning. Yeah. Yeah, it's above, kind of above their pay grade. They get stronger to task, but they're not really making any decisions, the muscles. So if you go out and start to change your movement tomorrow, you're not teaching your muscle a new trick. Actually, what you're doing is rewriting your software. Yeah, you're getting your brain, your software to learn a new movement. And that then tells the hardware, the muscles and the rest of the fascia and the rest of the body what to do. So when you go out and think about your movement, you're absolutely right. If you make these new movements continuously, you rewrite this software so that that becomes natural. Now, your brain, your software, it loves efficiency. 
And you would think, okay, well, if it loves efficiency, it's going to love this new way because this is a really efficient way for a human to move. But the problem is, even if you're not moving that efficiently at the moment, you've got very good at it. You've become very efficient. Whatever it is you're doing today, you know, you're good at it because you've been doing it a lot. And so your brain wants to stick with that because it likes that efficiency that you've built up. If you show it this new way, it doesn't want to know. It said, no, 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 I don't like that. I don't care if it's more efficient. This is what I want to do. This is what we're good at. And it will be very cunning and want you to stick with the old way. And it actually does that by throwing your perception of effort right up through the roof. So you will suddenly, everything will feel really, really hard because it's your very clever brain's way of tricking you into just sitting down and not, not doing this new movement. But if you persist with it and you get good at the movements and you become efficient at them, pretty quickly the brain kind of thinks, okay, yeah, I understand, I get this, this is a better way to move and you are becoming efficient at it, I'm in, I agree. And that's when the progress really comes. So when you go out and practice a new skill, don't expect angels to come out blowing trumpets and it will be amazing and fantastic. It's actually, it will feel pretty tough at first. But that's almost a sign that you are changing the movement and you are rewriting this new software. So you really need to persist with it. And when I'm working with runners on an ongoing basis, when they're learning to change their movement, I would probably work them on sessions around about six weeks apart. Because that's kind of how long it takes to start rewriting this software and for things to start to feel more natural. And then, of course, you just layer in some new skills. So don't expect it to be amazing straight away like anything. You know, you have to learn it. It's a little bit like, you know, if you came into work tomorrow and no one had told you, but you've got a new software system, you wouldn't like it. You know, even if you didn't like the old system very much, the new system is suddenly being thrust on you. Think, no, no, I don't want to do it. I, I'm not doing this. But you'd have no choice and you'd have to get on with it. And actually, after a couple of weeks, you start to get good at using it. You think, well, actually, this is okay. Actually, this is better than the old system. I kind of like it. And I wouldn't take the old one back now, quite frankly. It's a very similar thing. It's a very similar thing. So a little bit of discipline and a, a bit of focus and and treat treat that movement change with you know with um, fascination really you know take it as a challenge and a, a fascinating thing to do and of course once your software is rewritten that's your new movement and yeah. so you 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 know, you've then got it you're always thinking about it and trying to make it better because it's a movement skill but it doesn't stay that hard for too long yeah that was a good example um, like a, a few years ago our at work. Um, our um, software changed and I hated it for three weeks, but then now I, I really like it because um, it, exactly. it, it, it's so much easier. Um, but it, um, yeah, the, with um, the runners that you treat every day, Shane, what is mm. one of the most common um, uh, uh, software um, programming <laughs> that, that you feel like you're changing? Um, like what that you feel like, um, to, to get runners to run more elastically, what's one of the common uh, uh, biomechanical sort of um, traits that a runner often comes to you with and, and that you're often correcting or trying to give tips on to try to, um, mm. yeah, upskill them? Well, I think one of the big things I see and actually one of the really easy things to change is head position. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the human head, you, you're working in pounds or kilos over there? You... Uh, kilos. Kilos. <laughs> okay, so the human head weighs five kilos, okay? And uh, 
for every inch forward the head comes or for every inch the head drops forward, it weighs another five kilos. So if you're running around looking at the ground, you've got a 20 kilo head. Yep. That's heavy. And it's the spine, you know, the neck and the spine that has to take the weight of that 20 kilos. So that's a big weight to be carrying around with you. Uh, certainly isn't efficient. Also, your inner ear is where your, what's called your vestibular area is. And your vestibular area is where you get a lot of your balance and spatial awareness from. If your head is down, then you lose that balance and that spatial awareness. And this amazing, <coughs> excuse me, this amazing elastic system that you've got in your body actually finishes in the skull. So you literally have connective tissue that runs from your toes all the way up the body, right up into the top of the head. So if your head is down, then you're losing vital centimeters of tension in this elastic system. So we should be running with our head up and our eye line on the horizon. Okay, that means the head weighs what it should. It means your balance and your spatial awareness is good. And it means your elastic system is engaged. Of course, you do have to look down because you need to kind of see what's going on. You can't just run around with your head up all the time. But it's the default position of your head. So when your listeners are out running tomorrow or whenever you go for a run, think about the head up eye line on the horizon. You drop the eye line every now and again to see what's coming. But then the head comes back up. That's the default position. What we tend to do is run around constantly looking at the ground, look up every now and again to make sure we're not going to run into a lamppost or a car or off the edge of a cliff or something. And then we just look back down again and then we've got a 20 kilo head. Yeah. So head position. And of course, if you think about it, if you are sat at a desk all day staring into a, a computer or an iPad and it's down on the desk, you're creating that sea of tension for your body for nine hours before you go out for a run. Why wouldn't the head want to drop forward? And if you look at anybody looking at their mobile phone, they don't hold it up in front of their eye line. It's down and, and the head is down looking at it. And boy, how much time are we spending doing that now? I mean, that is part of a human's default position now is staring into their phone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. You spoke about um, ground reaction force um, before and that we shouldn't be um, uh, as scared of it and we should actually... Um, uh, view it as a necessary um, component to running well. Um, mm. But what about ground reaction time? Um, and uh, like you spoke a bit, a bit about it in the book, how um, we should try to keep it um, short because if you spend too long on the ground, you sort of lose that ability to harness the elastic energy that you create. Um, yeah, like uh, I think that's a really interesting concept um, that I think a lot of runners um, uh, would, would enjoy hearing about. Sure, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, you can get as technical as you like about running, uh, but actually essentially what we're trying to do all the time, doesn't matter whether you're an elite, a complete beginner, doesn't matter. What we're essentially trying to do is minimize the amount of time our foot is on the ground and maximize the amount of time we're in the air going forward. Yep, we're always yep. trying to do that. We're not trying to minimize impact, but we are trying to minimize the ground contact time and then maximize the amount of time you're in the air going forward. And so if you think about it, if you get that nice tripod landing and get that stability, that's going to save you time on the ground, isn't it? Most runners, probably 85% of runners that I worked with um, over the years are landing on a heel 
on a relatively straight leg. That's how we tend to run. Um, and so you're landing essentially on one point of a tripod on your heel. And when you land on one point of a tripod, because there's no stability, it will just rock and roll around. That takes a lot of energy to stabilize, but it also takes quite a long time as well. So ground contact time, you're absolutely right. If you can get your ground contact time nice and low, that allows the cadence to be relatively high. Now, we should be looking, if we can, for a cadence between 175 and 185. So for anybody who doesn't know what cadence is, cadence is essentially a way of counting how many times your feet hit the ground in a minute. Okay, so many, many runners will know, uh, but some, some may not have come across it. Uh, and it's pretty easy to, to be able to monitor your cadence these days. So when you're running, if you can get your cadence between 175 and 185, I believe that joins in with the elastic frequency of a human's body. There needs to be more research done on this, but certainly from the work that I've done with runners and, and uh, tracking them over periods of time, looking at changing cadence, if you can get your cadence into that zone, you become more efficient. Because when you're running, when your foot hits the ground and that two and a half times your body weight comes back at you that we talked about, that creates a load of elastic energy in the body. And that elastic energy has a frequency of creation, store and release. Mother Nature at her most genius you hit the ground, create a load of elastic energy for nothing. Your knee softens as you go through the stride. And then when you push off, the elastic energy fires. So it's, it's, you're creating it just by moving. That's why impact is good for us. So if we can get our cadence into that 175 to 185 zone, we can be as confident as we can be that we're now synchronizing in with the elastic frequency of a human's body. I think a lot of runners, and obviously this is a bit sweeping and everybody will be different, but a lot of runners in the Western world will find their cadence kind of in the mid-160s. Of, of the thousands of people that I've monitored, the actual average cadence is 164. Um, so most people will be looking to get that cadence a little bit higher. But don't just try and go straight up to 180. You know, two, two beats every week or something like that and just kind of creep up on that cadence. But you can get the cadence higher by reducing that ground contact time. It's a really good way to do it. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, all of this is um, so great to hear because for years as a runner myself, I focused so much on just improving my engine and just getting fitter and just training mm. hard. Um, and uh, I don't know, like um, I never really was told about technique. Like you do the drills, but you, you don't really think of them uh, you don't really think of running as a skill, um, but it, like since listening to the book, it really has opened my eyes, and and I, and I certainly have been uh, treating running more as a skill with the patients I treat and the runners that I coach. Um, and and uh, like I, I heard you speak on a on a podcast recently, um, how um, you know if you focus a little bit on more on the skill of running, then you're a more efficient runner. Um, so then you're leaving a little bit less on the table. Um, uh, if, if you just don't focus on the technique aspect of running at all, and you just try to get there from improving your, your heart and your lung capacity, um, yeah, you, you're, um, you, you're probably leaving a little bit on the table. So I think it's a really um, awesome area for, for runners to, um, yeah, explore a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, there's no doubt if you if you if you weren't a runner and you decided you wanted to be a runner, let's say, and you went out every day and ran for a year, 
at the end of the year, you would definitely have got better. We all get better. If, we, if you do something continuously, you do get better at it. Um, uh, but if you want to maximize your potential at it, then you do have to think about it. You do have to be cognitive about it. Um, but what I'm really keen to, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about getting people moving better and, 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 and becoming more efficient and more dynamic. But I'm probably even more passionate about making sure that people enjoy running. So we shouldn't make running all about technique and oscillations and ground contact times and all of the, you know, they, they will all help you develop your running and actually make it more fun and, and you'll get better at skill. But, you know, don't lose the joy of actually going outside and running because that's kind of what it's all about. That is the best reason to run. You might be looking for, a, you know, a PB or a you know, podium or a race or completing your first race. And there, all those things are important. But just going outside and enjoying moving around under our own kind of propulsion, our own steam is an amazing thing. So this should all help you do that rather than kind of complicate things and make it a chore. You know, they should help you with your enjoyment of it. With, um, with your own running, um, did you find, uh, yeah, that focusing on, on these aspects um, help, helped you with your injuries and, um, and help performance? Uh, massively. I mean, that's yeah. really what inspired me to kind of carry on the work. Actually, I was my own kind of case study. Um, and, uh, yeah, changed everything for me. You know, I, what, in the book, I talk about a race called the Grand Union Canal Race, and it's a 145 miler nonstop. And um, I'd had two attempts at it. And I think first time I'd stopped at 70 miles. And then uh, the second time I'd stopped at 100 miles uh, or just over 100 miles because my left knee would always give in. That was kind of my weak point. And it was at that point I had a bit of a tantrum and said, right, that's it. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. I'm going to have to do something. And that's, that was the catalyst for me going off to try and change my movement because I just couldn't complete that race. But yeah, within within a, a year of kind of studying this stuff and changing the way that I moved, I absolutely yeah, completed it. You no, know, I actually went out and I actually went out to the desert and did the marathon desert um, and uh, completed that. And then about three weeks later did the Grand Union Canal race, but carrying all my own gear in a marathon desert way. So I actually not only did I do the complete the race in the end, I actually did it carrying all my own food and all my own gear um and i really enjoyed that so so yeah it's made a massive difference to me i love it you know, i absolutely love it and um i've been able to run further than i've ever been able and faster than i've ever been able to run before so it's, it's been good for for me um but i've just the stories that i see continuously with elites as well as complete beginners i never tire of that because you just once people take ownership of their movement and start to treat it as a skill everything changes. You're not just out there toughing it out because you promised yourself you would, you know, and, and building a bigger engine. Being fit is important. But if you treat it like a skill, like you would martial arts or yoga or something like that, you just get better at it every day. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. Like you wouldn't, like with any other sport, like swimming or tennis, like you wouldn't just jump into that sport and not learn the technique. Like it, I think it's an underappreciated fact. Like when you talk, amongst the general public that there's actually technique involved with running. Like I think the general consensus is that, oh, you just put one front, one foot in front of the other and you just go out yeah. for a run and anyone can do it. Um, but yeah, I, th I think um, that's starting to change. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, massively. I mean, yeah, often people will ring and say, do I really need to learn how to run? You know, should, you know, we can all run. Well, you know, it's true, we can all run. But, you know, we can all swing a golf club. 
Yeah. Whether we hit the ball, whether it goes straight is another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, both the beauty and the nemesis of running is that we can all do it. That's what makes it amazing. Everybody can run. But because of the challenges we've already discussed with perception of movement and everyday movement, we can all do it, but we often don't do it very well. Um, and so, yeah, I think we do need to, we need to learn to do it. And just like we'd have a swimming lesson, golf lesson or, or a tennis lesson, I guess. Yep. Um, if someone was interested to reach out to you, Shane, um, you've got, um, your running reborn business, um, and then you've got your, um, book, the lost art of running. Where, where can they, uh, find you and, and, and contact you and, uh, yeah, um, get, get some help if they're interested to um, look further into this. Yeah, so I have a, so I have a website, so it's runningreborn.com um, and everything everything I do is there. So yeah, you can find the book there. And also at the, 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 the site is actually a coaching site and what the co this coaching site is designed to, you know, I use very, very clever equipment when I'm researching because I'm a researcher as much as I am a coach. I use very, very technical equipment when I'm, when I'm researching. Um, but you know the 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 and when I'm coaching face to face. But the most important thing I use for coaching is video analysis. Seeing how you move is an incredibly powerful way of understanding what's going on. And we all have an eye. We all have a. We all think we know how we move, but often the, the reality can be very different. And kind of shop windows and shadows aside, we don't really know. So the coaching site that I've got is organized, and it's actually a subscriber site, but it's, it's really not much to subscribe over the year. That site is designed to inspire people to buddy up, go out for a run, film each other running, because we can all do it on our phone. Everybody now pretty much has a device where you can, so if you and I went out together, went out for a run, we could film each other from the side, from the back, from the front at some different speeds. Have a look at that. And then the coaching site has lots of downloadable videos based on how you should be moving and what's a good way to move and some thought processes behind that. So you can use your own videos that you're taking of, your, of yourself and your friend um, or, or just on your own if you like. And then you can use the coaching site to be able to understand whether you're moving well or not and how, and how to adjust those movements. So and, and a, I mean, that we have subscribers literally all over the world. So quite a few in Australia, actually. And it, yeah, quite a few. I, I've got quite a lot of followers in Australia. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm called Shane. I'm not sure what it is. But <laughs> Shane Warren. Do, do, do you see a lot of people come up from Australia? And, um, <laughs> and once everything calms down, I'm going to come out and do some workshops, actually, because I have people asking all the time. So I'm going to, I'm going to come out. So, you know, you can, you can, you don't have to be able to get in front of me to do that. That's all of my work. All of my thought processes go into that site. Um, and it follows my work and anything I do, you know, research wise or, or anything on an ongoing basis. There's, there's webinars every month where you can log on and, and ask questions and, and about what you're doing and the technique and stuff. So that's probably the best way to, to connect with me and follow. And I do one-to-one -one coaching online as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and when I do get out to you guys, then obviously I'll do some, I'll come out and do some workshops as well. Awesome, Shane. And um, one last thing. I'd love to hear what a typical day looks like for you. Um, so, like, um, uh, how much research are you doing? And, and then, um, yeah, like, how many sort of uh, runners are you um, sort of coaching each day? And, and, yeah, what does a typical day look like? 
Well, so today, so yeah. it's, it's the morning for me now here. So, so today, obviously, I'm having a chat with you for, for yeah. an hour, which is yeah. great. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I'm actually going to the pavilion where where I coach, and I've got someone coming for a half day workshop. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to be working on. Yeah, you know, it's the first time I've seen them. So we're going to be doing lots of video analysis. We're putting sensors on them, looking at how they're moving. Everything's done outside. Nothing on a treadmill ever. Everything's outside. So I'll be working with that runner for four hours. And then I have an online session, actually, with a lady from Finland. So, that's, so she sent me in her videos, and we're going to be working together um, on her movement. So that's kind of my day today. Um, yeah. I'm writing the second book, so I'm kind of spending time writing uh, and kind of fitting that in wherever I can. And the, I guess the biggest change for me and the biggest challenge for me, as it has been for, for everybody over the last year or so, is that I haven't been able to travel. Um, and of course, my, a lot of my research involves travel, of living with different tribes and indigenous people around the world and working with athletes all around the world as well. So, so um, yeah, um, that's starting to open up now. So I will be spending more time um, being able to get to travel and research. I've got a trip waiting in Kenya. I'm going out to Japan to have a look at Japanese runners and how they move. And uh, they're getting pretty good. Uh, so, so that'll be interesting. Um, and so, so yeah, my work as a research research will carry on. But I have two universities that I am a research partners in the UK. So I'm still spending time with them, developing new ways of looking at movement and, and tracking it and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's, it's chaos. But I, but I like I'm one of those people that quite likes chaos. To be honest with yeah, you, yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of um, every day can have a little bit of research maybe a bit of writing, some online coaching and some face-to-face as well. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it can, can go any way, really. And um, is it top secret, the second second book still? Or, or can you give some hints on, on what that's going to be a, be about? Yeah, it's kind of top It's a little bit top secret. <laughs> <laughs> just, in case, just in case Bloomsbury are listening. <laughs> it, it, it is a little bit top secret, but it, it's definitely still about running. Yep. Um, and um, and also, you know, maybe have a look at this this amazing brain, this amazing software that we've got as well. So continuing on the journey of, you know, because I'm learning ever more. Yep. Um, and uh, and also investigating, you know, some of the groups and the indigenous tribes and stuff that I've lived with and spent time with. And, you know, learning maybe what we can learn from them as a yep. group. Yeah, we maybe don't, and especially over the last year, a lot of us have been pretty isolated, and we're we're losing what we would normally get from from our groups to a degree. So I think there's a huge amount to kind of explore there as well. So um, yeah, but it'll definitely still have a big running theme because running is my thing. Running, running is what I love. Um, so it'll be very, very it's still very much focused on running. But uh, yeah, hopefully this year, you know, as a researcher. If I'm not talking about something new next year that I'm not talking about today, it doesn't make me a very good researcher. So I don't even, I genuinely don't know what's going to be in the book to a degree because <laughs> my work over this year will, will form a lot of that. Yeah, no, fantastic. And with, with um, the Japanese um, running community, um, like, do you have any hypotheses about, because they, they seem to like um, run a, a little bit differently te- technique-wise, like they... They definitely are yeah. sort of short, short strides, choppier. Yes. Um, do you think they still, they they still very much harness that elastic energy approach? But Matt, is it more just their body types are a little bit different, or like I, I don't know? Like, do you have any sort of hypothesis? It's a great, yeah, 
it's, yeah. it's a great question, and, and, and that's kind of why I'm going out because yeah. you know they, when I you know obviously I think the East Africa if you look at the marathon for example the East Africans are kind of up there aren't they you know yeah. and the, but after after Ethiopia and Kenya now um, Japan is the best marathon running nation in the world um, and but they can't catch the Africans. Um, and, and, and we can't catch the Japanese. So it's really interesting, you know, and there's three very different movements there, and yet, you know, very different times. Um, and when I, initially, when I, when I would look at a, a, a Japanese runner, it doesn't shout out to me elastic energy. Yeah, and they do a lot of mileage. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, and you know, these things are always an arms race. And is are they doing it more on really hard work, good sports science, and you know, and plus a, a huge interest in the sport in the country. So picking from a big gene pool as well for people that want to do it, um, which of course is one of the things that the, 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 the works for Ethiopia and Kenya as well. Is a lot of people grow up wanting to be a runner. Yeah. Um, in you know, in a lot of countries, they might want to be a footballer or a tennis player because those are the sports that are bigger in the country. Um, so yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating, and I don't know the answer at all. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping that I come back with that answer, you know, to understand you know what why it is different. And it, you know, and it isn't all about movement. You know, of course, I'm a movement coach. But there are other things as well, you know, and hard work and, and being physically, you know, cardiovascularly fit are also, of course, incredibly important. I'm not pretending all you've got to do is move around with elasticity and all your problems are solved. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely uh, a symbiotic relationship between all of these things. Uh, but from my point of view, yeah, I'm looking to try and divide that movement up and just try and understand kind of what works. Um, and like everybody we all do this to a degree as we look around and we we gain information you might read three or four books and watch a couple of documentaries and then your overall thought process is based on bits you take from all of those isn't it we don't i don't think anybody has the answer um you know and that's what my work has been 10 years of that yeah um and, and that that just continues and what i love about the work is that every now and again you just have one of these massive light bulb moments you think Wow, I didn't know. I've been looking at that for six years and I didn't even see it. I don't know. Yeah. Someone might just say something where you just see it. You think, oh my goodness. And then I love coaching those light bulb moments to people. Um, but of course, I'm always thinking there might just be another one around the corner. So you've never really quenched that thirst and wanting to have that massive light bulb moment where you think, wow, now I get it. And then, and then the work just goes off on a different tangent. Just like the very first time I went to Ethiopia. And, and, and saw people moving around in what I thought was an elastic way. Yep. It's, it's, it's no different. You're always looking for the next one of those moments, really. <laughs> oh, no, Shane, <laughs> I, I've absolutely loved this chat, and you can see how passionate you are um, about your um, research oh, okay. and your craft. So, um, and, and you've shared some fantastic knowledge with all the listeners here. Um, so I'm so thankful for your time. Um, and, yeah, Thanks so much um, for you yeah, giving up your um, time to chat to me today. It's an absolute pleasure. I love it. No problem at all. And thanks for the questions. And you know, and thanks for inviting me on. And maybe at the end of the year or start of next year, we'll, we'll maybe get catch up again and, and see what I did learn. See what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about. exactly. And, and when I do come over, um, I'll give you a shout. And maybe we can uh, we can hook up. Yeah, that'd be awesome, Shane. Oh, well, thanks so much. Um, yeah, cheers, Shane. Take care. Thank you.